Welcome, everybody. If you have walked this way, you are in violation of jaywalking. jaywalking. That's right. You've arrived at Jubilee, Jubilee Street. Street, a music podcast. I am joined by my hype man and ab lib master. That's right. The one you know and love, Ian McCurtis. I am your host, Jake Curtis, if I haven't already said that. You haven't. And if I haven't already said that, then once again, I am your host, Jay Carter. Now you said it twice. And we're talking about an album that uh, warrants that kind of energy. You know, we're talking about the kayfabe. We're talking about the heel. We're talking about all the exciting stuff. This is not a wrestling podcast. I'm just like breaking out, you know, the exciting stuff. Words. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm losing myself. We're already we're only two minutes into the podcast, and I'm fucking it up. Uh, without further ado, we're talking about an album that's very, I believe, important, very brutal, very in your face, very beautiful in some ways, in all ways, um, empathetic in some ways, uh, angry, depressing, sad. We're talking about Diaspora Problems by the Philadelphia band Soul Glow. How about that yeah, for an intro? the whole damn review. <laughs> I just was really excited to talk about this. I was very moved by this album, and it's I was uh, part of the reason I had trouble. I I told Ian this morning I was like I don't know if I can record. I'm pretty tired, and my girlfriend and I were up late talking about you know really really seriously considering leaving California for a while. Uh, it's just really expensive here. We're kind of breaking even, um, and you know it seems more and more. We're talking about that, and it seems like the move back to Kentucky is imminent, or at least somewhere east, cheaper, somewhere cheaper. Um, and the other thing that was on my mind after we fell asleep is I just kept thinking about this Soul Glow album, because I spent a couple hours last night doing some extra preparation and re-listening to the album a couple of times, and man, I was just haunted by it. Just kept singing it, and certain lines I'm just like repeating and like I'm talking to myself, you know, just what are your thoughts? Uh, so let, let's intro it. I mean, you did a great intro, but just what, who Soul Glow is? Let the record show that Ian said, said it had a good intro, but I doesn't actually believe it because he's about to do another intro. No, just an intro to Soul. Soul Glow is a hardcore band from Philadelphia. They've been around for a while, like eight, been around eight for a while. I don't know, eight, nine years. They, they kind of, eight, nine years. When I was touring the most, they were, also starting, and we never played a show with Soul Glow, but we crossed over and played with bands therein, and they helped us out, and we booked them stuff, blah, blah, blah. So, so yeah. I've been listening to them for quite a while. They started off as kind of like a hardcore band with a lot of like power violence and screamo kind of influences, and have slowly... Mm-hmm gotten just a little more accessible, although I don't think this album is anything most people would call accessible. And they've slowly added in more and more of a hip-hop element. Um, yeah. But if you're not familiar with like them and you think of a hardcore band and, and like incorporating hip-hop, like this isn't Rage Against the Machine or anything like that. It's like a totally new way of bringing hip-hop vibes into heavy music. They're truly original mm-hmm. band. In a time where it's hard to be original. Shout out Philadelphia in general. That's uh, where Tim Heidecker ails from. Uh, the great Victor Berger, the fourth. Idol Fight, the Menzingers, Tiger's Jaw. I think Circus Survive yeah. is from there. Uh, Me Without You? Yeah. Me Without You? Yeah. Uh, Dagger? Cool, cool, cool music city. Uh, home to a lot of history. David Lynch lived there for a while. I'll pretty much just say here for listeners, this is like... This is it's worth noting that we're just two white guys talking about music that is like very much about the black experience. Um, so this is gonna be like somewhat voyeuristic. Um, the first thing that this album made me feel, um, and already as like an empathetic person, I felt 
like this album, if you let it, if you let it like creep into you if, in the way that it is meant to. Um, and it is creepy. It's a creepy album. It sound like there are. It's scary. It's 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 meant to sound scary and menacing, which again probably sounds like a problematic thing to say about like you know this record. But it's meant to be like that. Every single song when you have this on, I was I was just listening to it in my like headphones, and I'd be walking around my apartment or uh, walking just walking my dog outside, you know. And I felt like I could see, so the front man's name is uh, Pierce Jordan. And I felt like I could just, I just felt like every step I took, he was like, he was walking backwards, like screaming in my face. Like that was the level of intensity that the music made me feel. And um, so I just feel like that's worth saying before we go into this is that there might be some missteps with what we're, what we're you know, interpreting. This is a very lyric heavy, I mean, I think I read an article that says that this is like f- over 5,000 or like 5,500 words are on this album and it's only 11 songs. So this is a really dense album. So we're probably not going to be able to cover everything we'd like to. There's some songs I didn't really get to like read through fully. I say we just start from the top of the record and we'll kind of work our way through it. So um, I didn't, I, I, I feel like less than, less menacing. I feel like it's more just like a emotional like heartbreaking album it, it reminded me of two other episodes we've done it's sort of like a, a, a little spring trilogy we've done with Shilpa Ray, um drug church and mm-hmm. this one where they were all albums mm-hmm. that are kind of directed at punk music fans but a lot of lyrics are targeted at the people who are listening to it and yeah. what works you know, I I just don't really care about drug church whining about cancel culture. Like, that doesn't connect with me. But the level of, like, vulnerability to the lyrics on this album, like, they are so sad. Like, he is exposing so much of himself. So then mm-hmm. when he's targeting, you know, a lot of the lyrics are targeted at people like us, like Bernie Sanders, fucking pacifist, left-leaning people. But because he's shown me that vulnerability and I've connected to him in that way, I take in what he's saying, even though it might be attacking my beliefs or how I live my life. And I'm like, oh, I fucking need to consider that. Like, maybe it doesn't change my mind, but I understand where he's coming from and I'm not going to step on their shoes or anything. Like, I, mm-hmm. I think it's really powerful when you show someone the tortured side of yourself, the the stuff that makes you, like, feel so low and depressed you're gonna connect with them on other levels because they've showed you that intimacy yeah that's well put i maybe menace wasn't the right word but there is a level of like um mischief to it like you can kind of tell that it's like winking at you and i think given that this music is like made for a punk audience, but it's also making fun of, like, the white punk audience. And But I don't see it as, like, making <sighs> fun, like, I see it as, like, we, they love punk music, too. And they're like, here's mm-hmm. how you all need to be better. Like, mm-hmm. I don't see it as, like, you know, a lot of Patrick Kinlan's uh, lyrics seem like he's making fun of a situation from afar. Like, it feels detached. Mm-hmm. This album feels like we, li- like, this is our scene too and we just want to be represented we want if you go like you know the hardcore scene dresses all militant and like violent and they're like if you're gonna look that way we need you to live that way like it seems way mm-hmm. more like invested I see what you mean yeah yeah i don't i don't know i don't know i i am still kind of unpacking all the ideas that this album introduced to me i but felt challenged i would but say I felt challenged like out of love like i didn't feel like you know i felt like uh there's there's a level of respect with the audience i didn't even really feel ch- i didn't feel challenged i don't know if i said that in my description i didn't feel challenged by this i felt like i felt like i had finished like a great book that's how it felt like i finished i felt like i had like finished this like important like novel that was like a story of this band mm-hmm and it's kind of that feeling you get when you like read the last page and you're kind of empty cuz you know even if the clo- even if there was good closure or if the author like nailed the landing like it's still sad that it's over i think that's more what i was what i was referring to is it's like it, it, it's not like 
it was just interesting to to get this perspective from a band like this. I think because um, I don't really like hardcore music. I don't really Neither think I'm a hardcore music kind of person. But when these bands and, come out, you know, I do like hardcore when it's doing something original. And that's and that's uh, and that's what what my next point was going to be is like I do like Scram's music because Scram's music is inventive and noisy and rough and isn't afraid to be bad. And this isn't bad, but I feel like hardcore always it always kind of sounds like you're they're doing the same thing and they're not really trying to reinvent the wheel. They just want that next breakdown or you know mm-hmm. dance section to come in there. Um, and this didn't feel like that. And this, it's odd. It's odd to listen to this because the songwriting is so brilliant to me at times, and it's so bombastic. And the transitions all work really well. When I was actually prepared to not really like this, it didn't really click for me. And as as with most of these records, this may, this record is the one that made me feel actually actually better than. But cl- it's it's similar to the feeling I had with. Um, Black Country New Roads record where it's like it's enriched by the text of the lyrics Mm -hmm. which is an important thing for me to note because I care less about lyrics than I do about how the music sounds and the intensity of the album is what immediately drew me in but I was like what the fuck is this guy saying and so when I sat down and I followed every single syllable and word that was being like speak like I I just I, I texted you about this but like this is like, to me, it reminded me of like that like scene of rap in the like mid two thousands where people were like rapping really fast, like Twista, mm-hmm. and it's like it's like if Twista started like a Scrams band or something, because I was just the whole time I, I I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have to come back and just listen to these songs over and over again, and then I catch new things, and there were there's all the little like earworms and stuff in there, like you know the lyrics or the vocal style. So I heard that like Twista kind of thing, obviously the Screams thing, and then he has a way with his rhythm how he can yeah. switch mid line really fast. That reminded me of mm-hmm. LP and a lot of those in New York, mm-hmm. uh, like of that scene of that time. How they can they'll, they'll switch the rhythm of the flow like mid line, which is really impressive to me. Well, this is where it's interesting to see how music's changed over the ten years because. This is what rap was doing for a while. This is what like hip hop music was doing. It was moving into this like almost like rock music and then it kind of pulled back into becoming more like cloud rap and not as intense, you know? You mean like death like, grips? Like I think Yeah, 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 like it, like death grips and then even like Waka Flocka Flame and like remember, some like, of um, those heavier Trash Talk was like the biggest hardcore band for a minute and they like fucked with like mm-hmm. a lot of rappers and Odd Future, yeah, yeah, with a lot of hardcore bands. Why don't we just go ahead and get into like the song by song? Uh, we'll just start from the first track and make our way through the album. So I mean, it starts with the screamsiest of screams part. What's the first song? Gold Chain Punk. That guitar part is like straight out of like '90s. You know, that could be Page Ninety Nine or City of Caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Into the Can I Live? Like. I mean that sounds like that that could be like a a, a a song by like a Louisville hardcore band from the nineties. Yeah, yeah. And it's a pretty you know, that question's it, it seems simple three words, can I live? But uh for a lot of people that's like not that simple of a question. Like your life is in jeopardy at all times. And well, we'll find we'll we'll see as we go through the record that go ahead. What I love is like you know, that's just like a slang thing someone said might say, like, let me live, like can I live like if you're like calling them out about something stupid. Mm-hmm. What I love about this record is they use a lot of slang you might hear in like hip hop. Mm-hmm. But then when you hear it through the context of this music, it like, I'm trying to think of how, how to say this idea and say what I mean. I feel like it is white people, like we've been into hip hop, you know, since we were young teenagers. And you do, you, I, I do think that music's valuable for white people to listen to because it helps you gain empathy and understanding and I think makes you a better person. But you, or I should say, I get used to like these tropes of like hearing certain types of stories being told and, you know, I'm, I'm just used to hip hop hitting me a certain way and there's a certain thing I expect. So then you hear that perspective in a whole, totally different kind of music like this. 
and it makes you like just hear it differently. I'm not I'm not used to hearing these ideas in a hardcore band, and it like mm-hmm. it's like I'm hearing it for the first time. Yeah, it's weird. Hardcore got like super whitewashed because when you think about the the roots of this genre, it came from like black dudes. So, um, but I think that's just know, a death problem with bad brains. I mean, there's so much money that goes into starting a band, and then there's so many connections you need to have. That's usually white mm-hmm. people because you have to get on shows. Like it, it's hard for people that aren't like middle to upper class white men, white boys to like enter this world. And I mean, this album touches on that a lot of just like a lack of representation. And whatever city, well, if I you mean, grew we up going to punk shows. Whoever you are listening to this, you're probably a white person. There was probably like two to three black people in your whole scene. That's how it was in Louisville. I imagine that's how it is in a lot of cities. I will say Philadelphia when we would play there was better than most cities, but I'd be lying if I was saying it still wasn't like 90% white. And all the like, quote unquote, like big hardcore bands in Louisville when we were coming up were all the kids were, they were getting dropped off by their mom from like the East end of Louisville. And they had like Marshall amps and shit that like, I didn't even get a good amp until I was in college, you know, like, and a lot of that stuff I, bought with like you know my like college uh food card you know you know that was that was interesting to look back on too is that you know the scene is the backbone of it is usually like affluent people who are singing about things that impact people who are not affluent uh somewhere in the middle of the album there's a line where he says anarchist in the clothes liberal in the polls i mean that's punk rock yeah that pretty much says it um, yeah, I, I think I know what you're trying to say on this record. So the, the, the use of like slang, the N word, like part of their personal experience, um, I think it adds an element to this music that's exciting in a way because it's not something that you've heard before from music that sounds like this. And I think that the way that they mix their influences and genres here, rhythms, instruments, um, the choices that Pierce makes in delivering the vocals, they all work really well and they're like double, doubly interesting and intriguing because it's not something that you've heard before. And I think that like it changes the way that you can tell stories with D-beat music. It changes the way, like this first song is an incredible intro to the album because, I, I mean, there's just so much shit packed in these lyrics. I ordered the CD because I don't have a record player anymore and I don't have a lot of room. So CDs, I just want the lyric booklet to look through. No, I think that's spot spot on, Jake, because, I mean, we're two testaments to it. And I think there's a lot of people like us out there. Like, I don't dial into hardcore music very often because I find it so boring and I find it so full of these same tropes, these same Mm -hmm. fucking songs about unity and your crew all that bullshit. So the, the the rhythms of the vocals, the just everything about it, you're like, oh, this is something different. It, it gets you to like just tune in if you normally wouldn't. Because I, if this band was doing these same ideas, but they just sounded like another Integrity knockoff or something like that, I probably wouldn't listen mm-hmm. to them. Like, th- I think this gets people outside the genre to like check it out. And I think in a lot of the ways where you're like listening to like an MF Doom song and you hear him say a line and you laugh because it's just like you don't know how else to express yourself. There's just something about the quality of it. And, you know, there's a line in this song where he's like, is it possible to piss off your own therapist? Yeah. And that line got get, like got me the first time I heard it. And I was like, that is so funny. And like there's, there's, re- there's some really like, you know, can I exist in love of my own decision? Can I hold my own under my weighted blanket? Forgiveness is a ghost to my mind, ever fading from my sight with time. Out here happy and dying, that's life. Savagery run it, and I'm just, I'm doing just, just, just fine. Um, I mean, if you put a lot of these lyrics outside of the, outside of the, the music itself here, and if he just read this into a microphone, this would be like some, some high poetic shit, you know? That's what's genius about it is, uh, so I mean... Obviously, hip-hop is just poetry, you know, 
you can't really divorce the two. And then I never would have thought... I mean, Scrams is the same way, right? A lot of these Scrams bands just write poems and yell them. Like, it's so poetic. And I just never would have thought, let's combine hip-hop style lyric writing with Scrams. Like, it makes so much sense, but I've never seen anybody do it before. Yeah, I mean, having been in... That's so similar, like, stylistically. In a Scrams band, it's pretty much that. I just wrote poems and then... You don't worry about it rhyming. You don't worry about it fitting. You just, like, I'll say the words really Mm -hmm. fast and make it fit, like... Mm-hmm. It's a match made in heaven, but not one that I've ever heard before. And, uh, I mean, I think that the the line, who gonna beat my ass, is, man, it's just like, it's just inviting, it's just inviting, like, this kind of, it makes sense that this is the welcome mat of the album. Like, this is what you walk up to and knock on the door. This is what, it's like, this is what you're in for, you know? And that, that, that line is such an earworm, too. I just am singing that to myself all day. That's where I think the mischief you were saying, you're like the, the comedic element of this band comes in. Because there's a lot of mm-hmm. these hooks. They're like almost inviting, like, okay, we're going to be playing shows that are mostly white people. Are you guys really, like, is the crowd really going to scream these lyrics back at us? Like, mm-hmm. you know. I thought about that. There's no fucking way that's going to happen. Like, I don't see... He's going to sing these different every but night. I, but I think it's I, I funny. Think he, it's like a lot of these like yeah. hooks, a lot of these sing-along parts are parts that you would feel uncomfortable as a white person singing mm-hmm. in the show. And rightfully so. I mean, especially when you get to like the N-word and a lot of the stuff that's so personal about being black. But I think it's funny that a lot of these lines yeah. seem on purpose to be the catchy ones. And I know. Yeah. I love that because... It's accepted that hardcore music is about community and uh, about family. And I feel like they're like, well, mm-hmm. fuck that. What, why can't hardcore music be about introspection? Why does it have to be group mm-hmm. sing-alongs? Why can't it be my very personal feelings? Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I think uh, this band ushered in, along with... Um, there's another Scrams band that I got pretty into back in like 2019. Their name's escaping me. But I think that they're, this is like what... This is like Loma Prieta. No, not Loma Prieta. Uh, I think this album is going to be hardcore's like Shape of Punk to Come. In a couple years, I think it, like this will be something that inspires a lot of people, and we're going to see like a whole wave of music. I don't like. I know that that's a pretty he- like hefty thing to say, but I hope you're right. Like I, th- I thought the the I mean Ceremony's been doing it for years. I thought the Turnstile album was really forward looking, but it was like. A lot of just fun songs. But not in this way. There's nothing wrong with fun songs. But this is like, there's so much substance here. There's so much. I mean, this band is just pouring their heart out to you. It's like, you just connect to it so much more than Turnstile, if you give it the chance. Let's move on to the second song. Not necessarily because of the the theme of it, but I just want to make sure we get to touch on every song as much as we can. To go off your last point, I'm just pulling up the lyrics for track two. Um, To go off your last point, I... I thought a lot about Turnstile when I was listening to this because that's the last like proto hardcore whatever you want to call it album I've heard that I liked because it did something new and it was softer. It was a soft hardcore record. This is like a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. And also Turnstile vocally didn't really like the lyrics are good and the music sounds good, but it doesn't do what this does. And um, as someone who often feels this kind of rage on a daily basis that I have to process. Like, I don't understand why the world's this way. I'm, I'm not directly impacted by it, but, you know, there's all these things that happen all the time that I, like, really make me upset and depressed. And I think that that's kind of, like, the sentiment of the album is you can really hear that, like, you can really hear that pain coming through on the guitar, on the bass, on the drums. Um, the music sounds painful. That's why, like, I think these songs are fun. It's music that I'm excited to hear. But I think, like, it's, it's definitely, like, you have to be... If you, if you listen to the lyrics, you have to be prepared for how those are going to impact you, you know? And, you know, then he, he opens up this song with, like, I try to listen the way I want to be listened to. Also, it's got that 
awesome, funny sample from It Takes Two. The, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about oh, the, the, yeah. the opening of the album is uh, like someone smoking a bong, and it's the... Yeah. Dun, da, 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 da. It's like the... Whatever that movie and fucking intro is. Yeah, I think it's good that you mentioned the bong rip because I think it's pretty in, uh, inherent to the, the feeling of the album. The, the, the next like three songs, I feel like I can kind of like lump together. Um, so Coming Correct is Cheaper is the second track here. Um, a complete eschewing of like identity and identity politics within this genre in this track. You got anything to add? Uh, I took it as just how like, I mean, American culture is black culture. Like, mm-hmm. you know, movies and music and everything is like, I mean, what I take in, it's probably, and not because I tried to, it's just because of what is like good. It's probably like 50% made by black people. Like, that's just like what is relevant in American culture, but that's not who's making the money. I feel like that's what the song is like. You know, black culture is everywhere in America, but they're not making the money off of it. They should. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, and I think it's really cool that this album is coming out along with the third season of Atlanta airing, because I think they're airing a lot of grievances on this third season of Atlanta that they couldn't do in the first two seasons. And I think, like, that was completely planned by Donald Glover. Because I kept wondering, like, if he, if, if, like, how the pandemic delays would impact the show. And I think that everything's intact. And um, anyway, uh, so let's go on to Thumb Sucker. My favorite song on the record. Uh, Cookie Monster was a prisoner of war. Uh, thoughts? <laughs> it's a really funny line. It's the kind of poem I like. The kind only God can write. The kind that spells out my life in the simplest terms that suffice. So you got the horn section on this get, song I, that like reminds me of yeah. Camadre. This song reminded me of Camadre a lot, which is probably why I liked it so much. Been so down, looks like I'm... I mean, it totally has that feel. It's so catchy. Mm-hmm. I love it. And then the lyrics, this idea of like... This masculinity that I dealt with that I think is like so much harder for black people because I mean so many reasons that I'm not the one to go into of like you have to toughen up when you're a kid uh, you know the world's gonna be tough so your parents and your grandparents are gonna treat you tough that's like hard when mm-hmm. you're a kid like that's it sucks like that should be where you're getting love and you know the story of him being a kid and getting his like stuffed animal taken away cause or like being told not yeah. to to suck on his thumb. Mm. I feel like that's that's gonna hit hard to everyone. Like you probably have something in your childhood where your parents were like, "You gotta grow up," and then you grow up and you're like depressed and like the world's fucking hard. Like I don't know if them telling me to maybe them telling me to toughen up made me stronger. Maybe it didn't. I don't know. But yeah, I think this song's genius. I. I it makes me so emotional, but it's so fun because of how catchy it is. Mm-hmm. I love horns mm-hmm. and heavy music like this, like when it's used well. I, I just think this song's a masterpiece. Fucked up if true. What you got for this one? Uh, I don't know if I have much. Uh, this was one that I feel like uh, I need to come back to, but I think that, you know, I don't want to be my enemy. I don't want to be my enemy. I certainly don't mean to be alienating. Fuck I look like wearing emotions like an ankle weight or ball and chain. Um, I'm sorry that my personal memories don't predicate the greatness of the state of the state. Um, I think this is kind of where like, you know, so we we're just going to always vote in false elections and accept each result and its effects as though people were powerless. I think what is um, if, if I were to go back to what you were saying about what's challenging about this album is um, I'm not I'm not really like a. I've never wanted to own a gun. I don't really want to know how to use a gun. And after I listened to this album, I was like, I should, I feel like I should go to a shooting range. Because, and this is kind of a weird thing to say, but there is a part of me that's like, they reference um, 
that guy who shot all those cops in Texas, I think. Um, they reference him on another song on this album. And I really started thinking about that. And do you remember in Louisville during uh, 20, in 2020 during the, the Derby where the, uh, I think like Black Panthers showed up at the uh, Churchill Downs? Do you remember that? Yeah, vaguely. And it was like a whole thing because they were armed. There was so much going on every, and every day at that time. And um, one thing I've always thought about is it's like, I kind of understand, like, there, there's, a, there's a, a lot of people that kind of I've interacted with as I've gotten older when I was younger that they have a very militant view of things. And I think like a burning down like government buildings and destroying banks is a big part of that. And the thing is, is it's like a lot of this music made me feel as if like it made me question my entire life. It made me question my like job at this mortgage company that I fucking hate really. It made me question what I'm doing with my life. It made me question like, you know, how I'm diverting my money. Well, I mean, that's what I was trying to get at at the beginning of the episode when I was, I feel like the album is, directed at people like me like i i believe in democracy and peaceful protest and incremental change but it's easy for me to believe in those things because i i have things to lose i have an easy life relatively speaking it's it's easy for me to want things to shake out that way so this album isn't going to make me feel differently about guns but i get it I I, mm-hmm. I fucking get everything he's saying and like I'm not gonna stand in the way of stopping, you know, if it came to like some sort of whatever big violent movement against the police or whatever, I'm not gonna I don't know if they're gonna be able to convince me to like join them, but I'm definitely not gonna get in the way. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's it that's it that's the that's it. That's the feeling. Let's go to the next song. I think I don't have anything to add to that. You well put. So the next song was, I All guess, right. was the single. It's got the music video that is... This song's awesome. Hilarious. Uh, it's like, what's it like being the one white person in Soul Glow? And they're all yelling it's at him. It's such a good video. It's what I imagine... I don't know if it's a play on that Whiplash movie with J.K. Simmons, but it's what I imagine that movie mm-hmm. was like, just from the trailers and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's really funny. It's a great music video. Uh, okay, so... Can I can I add that one of the best things about this record is that it captures um, braggadocio in a way that I don't think any any other music has ever gotten. Like if if we're if we're allowing ourselves to connect this music to like the history of rap music, Pierce Jordan just like brags so much on this album, and he's so much enjoying his moment and. I think Bragg has a negative connotation to it. I do not mean it in that way. I mean that, like, he deserves to be celebratory. There is an error of celebration on this record. It's a celebration and airing of grievances, I think. And I think that airing your grievances is often something that should be celebrated. This song feels, like, jubilant in a way. I feel like, so how so? I feel like this is one of the most depressing songs on the record. I just, I just love, we got big plans coming up. Uh, it was six hands when we came with mathed up off the cuff. But I feel like it's like tongue those two lines like, alone. I, I feel like the song is about how like black artists die early, and it's like uh, the song is sad. I'm not saying the song's sad. I'm just saying that this is another. There are some lines on here that I feel like it's like you think this is great. Wait until you see what's coming. You know, mm. like it's got this like there's like a sales pitch going on here. Like it's like this is just the beginning. You know, I I feel like it's like sarcastic because it's like he said he's like it could be sarcastic living on Juice World pop smoke time like mm-hmm. like I feel like he's saying like my plans don't mean shit because I could die next week like the life it's yeah. to see yeah. for a black musician isn't you know anywhere near what it should be absolutely um, I just I don't know I kind of get that there is like some some air of like look at how far we've come to this you know. And there's a story that's referenced in the last track on this album that we'll talk a little bit more later. But, you know, on the way to a show, one of their members got pulled over by the cops and they had to go bail him out. And that's like, 
that can be a really scary situation. You know, if the cops had decided they didn't like the way that this guy was talking to them or whatever bullshit cops do, like soul glow might not still be what they are now. And there's all these kinds of things where it's like shit just worked out. Anything to add here? No, I mean, this one is, is very dense. It's worth, so all the lyrics are on their Bandcamp page. It's worth uh, reading along. Cause I mean, he's going so fast and like not even able to like pronounce some of the words. It's like so rapid fire. You like have to even reading along. It's like, almost too fast to follow. Yeah, I um this is where in my listen last night I started it, every, it it started to kind of click for me and um I'd already been into it but I was like yesterday I was like all right, well I'm going to pull up the lyrics and just read along and just completely focus on this and not like listen to it while I'm at the gym or something or running an errand. 2028 has no guarantee but I know my dream. I know my mom's dream even though I have not yet written I know how long you have been, you have searched. I know its power and I can't die before it's unearthed. Every day we run from ourselves and from time, so much so that our planning looks like we've lost our minds. But our lives are wasted if we don't even try, and it's delicious every time it turns out I was right. Yeah, so I think he's talking about how he's like already has the next album. You know, I'm assuming I know how mm-hmm. long you've searched is gonna be the next album and he's already got it planned mm-hmm. out. Yeah, and he, and even then, even if we do determine this to be sarcastic, it's like you know, this shit is mid compared to what I'm saying on the L. You know, I think that it took so much time, life advice, and effort to make the first half of this shit, shit come together. Uh, oh, man, this line is awesome. Everybody wants their ideal, ideology to be, to be the one that enslaves the world. We just left a century of artists whose screams went purposefully unheard. I don't think sarcastic was the right word. I meant that I think he's saying... Self-aware? Yeah, like, I do have big plans for this band, and for my life as an artist, if I understand that it could end at any second. We live in the future. We die in the present. I have our next two shits in my mind already. We started conceiving in 2016 in a windowless van driving through the desert. All right, let's move on to one of my favorite tracks on this record, Dripponomics, featuring Mary, Mother Mary Rose. Yeah, Dripponomics is like, I would say the most straight-up hip-hop song on the album, and it's sort of just an indictment. On you know you always hear there's like no ethical capitalism, that idea, and I think the thing this song is saying like if someone can get money if they're in a position where they don't have money and they find the means to get money, there's nothing wrong with them doing that. This song in particular being about you know selling reselling clothes or mm-hmm. you know uh, I I think it's also there's also a lot going on here about um like making fun of the current zeitgeist of music that sounds like this, which is people just talking about their paddocks and like watches and like these, you know, $2,000 pants they bought that are made out of like the inside of a scrotum. And like, you know, I think that there's an, to me, there's an air of like sort of meta poking fun at that mentality. But yeah, I do see what you're saying. I didn't take a lot of these lyrics as literally, um, this is to me one of the most fun songs on the album. It, it the, the the production is awesome. Like it's so noisy and glitchy. Um, I wanted to make sure before the album's over that, or before the podcast is over, um, that we mention their producer um, Evan Bernard. He's their engineer and uh, he's a big fixture in Philly apparently. Um, I'm sorry, and then Jean. Marco Gigi Guerra uh, is all, I think he's the one who actually produced the beat and then Evan engineered, like did mastering and stuff like that. I think that the way this record sounds is really important. So this song in particular, I think is really well, like for the sequencing of the tracks, it's really good because it feels kind of like a break from the intensity of the, f- the five tracks that came before it. And then the, uh, I think like four or five tracks that come after. So um, yeah. 40 years of Reaganomics. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's, you know, I think that's the core of the idea of the song. He mm-hmm. flips in into trickle-down Dripponomics. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, feel like I a, want bands on every politician's head. I feel like a lot of wealthy white people look down on, you know, when you go to a poor neighborhood and they're, like, reselling, you know, I mean, the, the shit in Supreme and Nikes and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And... 
if you put these people in a position, like, that's the only way they have to make money. Like, why wouldn't they flip clothes? Like, you know, I mm-hmm. think it's just like, don't look down on people doing what they need to do to get by. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's been white people's whole history, right? As soon as, you know, an individual black town gets successful, they bomb it or they flood it. Yeah. Uh, Mother Mary Rose's verse is awesome. Uh, we get to hear a variety of different voices on this record. Uh, Hers is great. They fuck with the drip and it's wet like a jacuzzi. I'm young and I'm ratchet. I'm his favorite hoochie. <laughs> There's some funny lines in here. Um, yeah, it's great. And I think it also brings this kind of um, levity to it. That's not like, you know, the Cookie Monster song from before and uh, even Jump. I think like it, it, it's a nice break. Yeah, you, you get a lot of features on the second half, which I think was really smart because... Mm-hmm. You know, 35, 40 minutes is a long time for a hardcore record. but It's a long record for... Our, yeah. But then when you, yeah. you break it up, almost every song on this back half has a feature, which gives you a new voice, which kind of... You know, it, it just helps it uh, not all sound like a wash of noise. You get some new elements coming in. Yeah. So the next song uh, is let's... Five Years of My Family, which I think is kind of yeah, like beat me to it. a sister song to Thumbsucker... Like this one also being mm-hmm. a lot about therapy and mental health and him talking about his grandma again and just this like, I mean, almost as like a horror movie, like this realization you can feel him having that like, oh, this goes back generations in my family, like this shit I'm dealing with and like, mm-hmm. and all this like heartbreak and struggle and depression and all that and... You know, it ends with his grandma being like, you could have saved all that money on therapy if you just would have talked to me instead. And it hits, it hits yeah. really hard. Have I talked on the podcast about how uh, generational trauma um, starts from conception? I don't know. We've done a lot of episodes. So when... Oh, let's think about this. When your grandma got conceived with your mom, the amount of eggs that your mom had were in her until, you know, she was old enough to start reproducing. So all the stress that your grandma had while pregnant with your mom impacted your mom before she was born. So it also impacted your history. So if we think about Pierce's grandma here, her, his grandma gave birth to... Um, either the father or mother, I don't, I'm going to just guess, but we're not, well, this right. is the it was thing is that a father or mother, that's the only two options. Shut up. Uh, I, um, what I'm getting at is it's like, there's generational trauma with people in general. If your father beat your mom while she was pregnant with you, you felt that. I, I and I, I was really, I learned about that recently and I was blown away by it because there were all these things that my mom did while she was pregnant with me that were things that became part of my character when I was when I grew up. Um, my favorite color as a kid was orange. I still that's still my favorite color. When I, my mom was pregnant with me, she had cravings for orange foods: Kraft mac and cheese, oranges, uh, those like sour cream and onion or sour cream and cheddar ruffle chips, all orange foods. When my mom was uh, had, had when my mom and dad had conceived me. My dad kicked my mom out and my mom was separated from him basically up until about a month or two before she had me. So all of the stress she went through trying to find like a place to live, to take care of the baby inside her and herself, that impacted me and it impacted her. And then the stress that I have inside me will at one, would, would at one point impact you know, the child I would have. So what I'm getting at is that black people deal with that double because not only is the whole system against them, any of the stress or, or fright or terror they went through in their lives, their children carry that. So in thinking about the story and, um, uh, sorry, five years and my family, I thought a lot about how that's like a real thing. You know what I mean? And how it's not always so easy. Maybe a real thing. Once you've paid for the... Th- it's. I think it's. It. I think it's like a. It's like sign. It's like a scientific thing. I think it's real. I mean the stress thing, but like the the thing about the color orange, like that sounds like pseudoscience to me. I didn't say it was. I didn't say it was all. 
But I mean, my mom's one of those people, like she's superstitious. Like I was never allowed to like walk under ladders or open umbrellas in the house. One time I opened an umbrella and she like freaked out. She was like, can't do that in here. I was like, why? It's just an umbrella. And then I would do it all the time because I knew she'd get mad. She made me throw salt. I had to throw salt (laughs) every time. Uh, Anyway, I just thought that would be interesting, but Ian's being kind of mean about it. So I'm I'm the one trying to be mean. Go. Yeah. He's over here shitting on it. He's like Googling it. He's got his little, oh, I've got my TI-84 calculator. I better check the calculations here. Uh, yeah, anything else my, to say about this song? I'll ask my scientist friend Travis later. Let's see what he thinks. <laughs> well, later he might be pig pen and he might be off the clock, so be careful. R- regardless of the like biology, I mean, generational trauma is very much real. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, that's... It. No, you, you said it better than I could have. I don't think we really need to reiterate anything in particular, as we mentioned in previous songs and as we're kind of like nearing the end of the track list. Buy the album and like while you're listening to it, read the lyrics. You will be absolutely floored by how impactful and emotional they are, each and every song. All right, let's move on to The Things I Carry featuring Bearcat. I think it kind of pairs off the previous song, him, him mm-hmm. talking about the the mental struggles and the trauma he carries, then going into this song and talking about because of that, maybe maybe it's hard to be to like love someone or to totally open up to someone and how those ideas kind of pair together. At least that's what I took from it. This is one I need to spend some more time with. So um, I like the song, but I need to spend more time with the lyrics well i mean that's 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 fine we can skip to the next one because that this is one i love the we want revenge i think this sounds like roner park ceremony you know it sounds like si- sick i'm so bored by the leprotestant reluctance to militarize reluctance to militarize yeah this song's great um so this song is about it being 9-11 him being in elementary school which we're gonna relate to <laughs> i was radicalized we were you know just one year older, we were 10 when 9-11 happened, and uh, I'm guessing his dad was either in, probably in D.C., because I think, I want to say I read somewhere he grew up in that area. So either way, I guess in, on Maryland. 9/11, he grew up in Maryland. Okay, so I guess on 9-11, his dad was, you know, somewhere near an attack or, or something of that nature, and how scared 9-11 was, and kind of changed his life from there. So this song is kind of an attack yeah. on liberals, and... Uh, just the idea of like peaceful protests, like what is that going to accomplish? Like we, you know, the idea is we need something more. I remember vividly, and I've, I'm sure I've told this on the podcast if I haven't, when 9-11 happened, I was in Kentucky, so I wasn't directly impacted by it. I was nine or 10 years old, so I didn't quite understand the gravity of it because to be honest to me at that age, the footage didn't make sense. Like, it didn't look real. When you watch it now, it still seems kind of surreal. And I got I got picked up by my dad, and my, da- my dad had this car. It was, like, a coveted car. And it was a little red Acura, like, sports car. And whenever we got in, he had to pull the front seat up because um, it, it was a two-door car. So my brother and I had to climb into the back. So, anywho, um, we get home, and I need help with my long division and I'm like, Dad, I need help. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. You know, I don't want to do it. It sucks. And there's this weird tension. And then my dad, <laughs> this is so crazy, he starts screaming at me. And he's like, do you know what's going on? Do you know what's going on? We're under attack. And my mom gets home like an hour later after this happens. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm crying, you know. Because I'm, I'm just scared of my dad yelling at me because I just want help learning how to divide 36 by 4. And he just, my, I remember the glow of their tube TV in the, bed, in the bedroom, which was parallel to my room. And my dad was like laying on the floor, distraught by this 9-11 thing. But he didn't, he didn't get radicalized. He got, he went the other way. Well, he got like, radicalized I think that changed into patriotism him. and nationalism. Like he got radicalized into, into that, yeah. Just, I mean, he ate up that George Bush shit. And, yeah, I mean, shed your liberalism, claim your freedom, will you accept the crumbs? Yeah. I mean, 
I'll be honest, I don't really feel like either. I've never really ascribed. People call me a liberal, but I feel like the ideas that I have are not in line with what most liberal people believe. Like, I feel like if you read the definition of a liberal democratic thinking person, it would usually be like they do believe in democracy, but they're also supportive of like government systems like the police and stuff like that. I've I agree with you, Jake. For, I, I would say the same thing. I probably have said the same thing, but that's the most liberal ass shit to say. What do you mean? I mean, that's what liberal, like, well, I'm not actually, people call me a liberal, but I'm, if you look up what a liberal is, I'm not a liberal. Like, you know, people like us say that shit all the time. And the I context mean, I don't really of the song, we are the kind of people that are being talked about. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, that's kind of the point, right? Is it's like, it's making fun of that line of thinking. Like the, oh, I'm not the problem. You know, de-escalate and diffuse, that kind of thing. Like he says in the song. Yeah, I mean, this. I, I think this song's great. Again, I'm not like, this isn't going to make me buy a gun and like, you know, militarize. But like, again, I get, like, I fucking get it. I, I have no argument against it. Hmm. Yeah. The heartbreaking thing is the part I, where his dad's like, they're watching 9-11 on TV and he's like, this is what people do. Like, fuck, like, that's traumatic. Like, I mean, we all dealt with it mm-hmm. with 9-11, but like, you know hearing in that context fuck like you're so little like we were all so young and had to see what the world like that's how the world works yeah we got to see that adults don't know how to communicate in reaction to a disaster and they still don't that's what it was and our parents were not well equipped to to deal with that whether they were white or black Let's move on to my favorite song of the album, John Jay. Okay. Am I speeding you along too much? No, not at all. I mean, you called me out for being a liberal. I got to say, I'm a little hurt. Let the record show. I'm a little hurt. We are. There's like nothing more liberal to say than I'm not actually a liberal. Like, that's... Well, isn't that the most liberal thing to say? What? Isn't that... But that's that's the whole thing, right? Is like... That's why this is uncomfortable is you have to deal with that you've been saying these things for a while. So John Jay starts off with a bang. Every morning we congregate on top of this mass grave that we call a nation. Uh, I find this song to be the most, if if there were a violent sounding song, this would be the one. Um, And I think that the best vocal performances come from the features. I could not find Catherine Edwards anywhere but I did find Zula Wildheart, who has a group called Jesus Hating Liar. I want to say that Catherine Edwards is in that Screamo band that I've had on the tip of my tongue this whole episode. But I can't remember what they're called. <laughs> Let me see if I can find it. Uh, what are your thoughts on this song? I love the, the Zula Wildheart feature is probably my favorite on the album. And I, I looked them up mm-hmm. as well. And I found a, like a YouTube video of them doing... A couple freestyles with like a drummer and a bass player, and they are a amazing rapper. Yeah, I I have a like a it looks like an interview or something with them. I don't know if it's the one you've watched, but I have something pulled up to watch later. Um, I just thought the song was brutal. Gave me tinglys listening to it. Yeah, I love the way. I mean, it's all. I mean, it's really good songwriting to make mu- music this heavy that you can stay interested in for an album of this length. So like every other yeah. Like every other song, it's great yeah. songwriting. But the way this song moves into like from the brutality into the features which kind of dial things back a bit. It's got a really great flow to it. We can edit this out. I've got to find this song that I'm referencing cuz I just it just sounds so much like her. Yeah, there's all the It's um, definitely got some uh Lingua Ignota vibes. It has all the features on the band camp, but it doesn't say like go. what bands the people are associated with. Uh, the band I was thinking of was Nuvola Oscura, uh, female fronted scrams um, disguised in scintillations. I really want to figure out who this Catherine Edwards person is, though. Well, someone hit us up. Um, let's see the part that I was referring to, uh, <laughs> where. It's one of them. I don't know if it's uh, Wildheart or Catherine, but it's just four lines. It's like, who is my real family? Why should we go on? A world made for no one. Darkness can heal all. Uh, knee deep on the corner, thought of freedom on it. 
took rock and rolled back and put some steez on it, broke the chains and told him I'll never fear. Bloody murder, sheer terror, had to hold had to hold tears. In my liberated drip while the coast clears, marginalized marks on the wall, yell off the walls and rebel, sheer terror, bloody murder, tears of the ghetto. Taking you all with me, no use in running. The flames, they grow higher, wash away your sins. <laughs> I mean, like, and the music at that section, this is the most scramsy song on the record. The chords that they use, the sounds, like the kind of like, like it's got that kind of deaf heavenly guitar playing at some points. It's great. And then the switching off of vocals, like I don't know if you ever were a mark for the Blood Brothers, but a lot of this record reminds me of the Blood Brothers and how like bombastic and they were pretty wordy too, like this band. And the way that they would sound very like, like kind of soft and pretty at sometimes, but then they would just immediately switch into these like gasping for breath, like guttural, high pitched screeching screams, like on a the drop of a dime. Uh, anyone listening, if you're interested in checking that band out, Burn Piano Allen Burned is like this nice little pocket of like scrams music that I think I don't hear enough people talking about. Great album. I was never into them, but I. I get the comparison. I agree. Yeah. Anything else to add there? Nope. All right. I think we got something that's a little bit, uh, it's a nice little in-between until we get to the closer, which I think is one of the best closers. So we're talking about God bless y'all real good. Fuck me. Fuck me. Oh, okay. Uh, great opener. Yeah. This might be like the most classic kind of punk song This being about like you know, just having a group of friends that kind of leave you behind or you find out the friendship isn't as deep as you would have hoped. Oh, yeah. Um, Something that's relatable for everyone. Yeah, I think it's got the, you had to insulate your mans from Big Bad Pierce as though he wasn't my mans too and for him I too feared. Like that whole section. I kind of felt like this was the most like voyeuristic in a way. Like we're kind of like listening into a story that maybe we shouldn't be hearing. Mm. But I get this mentality because... You know, I was I was in bands in Louisville, and I definitely, like, stiffed people and, like, was awkward, so I, like, came off rude, and sometimes I just flat out didn't ta- want to talk to people, and I would, you know, you don't, you don't really, like, do these things without making enemies, and I'm not even talking about music, like, you just, especially for me, because I'm very extroverted, like, I would kind of put myself out there a little more as I got more comfortable, you know, sometimes you don't get along with everybody. And I think that, there, but I think that it wasn't just that. I think there's some other stuff going on in this story, that's not just about you know, social faux pas. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's move on to the closer, huh? Yeah, spiritual level what do you, what do you of gang shit. So I said Thumbsucker was my favorite song on the album, but I think this one is like the most ground. Like if I was gonna show someone the song from this album, this would be the one I chose. I think the song is a masterpiece. Uh, the way it moves between hip hop and hardcore, the way the statement it's making, the way it wraps the album up, like this is just perfect, perfect songwriting. Yeah, it's it's the it's the what is it? It's the thesis statement for the band. Like I think if you if there were one song that I'd say, like people were like, I want to get into Soul Glow, but I heard one out like song off of it, and I was kind of like intimidated, or it was a little too hard like hard for me, and I was like, okay, well check out this song. Because you kind of get everything that the band's going to do within, like, you know, less than five minutes. And um, my only gripe with this song is I wish it didn't fade out. Mm. I I have always, like, listened for that ever since I met you and you were like, you don't don't really care for fade outs. Is that accurate? Yeah, not not usually, no. They're always kind of a, like, a scene as, like, a cop out. I think think it's effective on this song, but... I don't mind it to end an album. I personally... Because you're ending the, like... For some reason, in my head, it makes sense to end an album with the fade out. I always, it's a and pet I think, peeve when someone does it in the middle of an album. And I think it, it works here because, to me, this whole album kind of feels like somebody looking at themselves in the mirror and breaking each, like they, they punch the mirror. And then, you know how when you, with glass, it'll kind of like splinter and it'll create all these little like micro pockets and there'll be like a tiny reflection of you and there's a big piece of glass with a reflection of you. To me, it feels kind of like this is, this is the song where the glass finally like broke and fell off the mirror. And then it's like, okay, well, I'm gonna go hit the bong and I'll 
worry about fixing my mirror later. Because mm-hmm. I, fa- I think the fade out feels kind of dreamlike. I think it feels kind of like... The reason I was really moved by this record is like... I found that after I listened to this, I was really questioning how much I'm helping people. And helping people is really I, like... The reason that I'm vegan is because I, you know, I don't want to, I want to cause less harm. But I also, you know, around like 2014, 2015, I had like an awakening about how race is in this country and how it was in my life. And, you know, I'm working on a book right now that's really difficult to write that's about how racism was taught to me as a kid. And it's not all about that. It's mostly just like stories from when I was a kid, but it's i'm i'm breathless like i'm speechless at the end of this album because the um tactless person in me wants to be like tell me what to do you know i want to look at the music and i want to say tell me what to do but the music's telling you it's not my job to do that and i think privilege for me meant that i never had to worry about what to do I always had a solution offered to me in ways that I didn't always understand. And the reason that this album is so impactful and emotional and beautiful and kind of transcends itself is that it offers this very intimate look on a person's experience who is oppressed. And that's why I said it felt like a book and not like, it felt specifically like that. Like it felt like I was reading this journal or diary and I was left thinking like, I feel like I, I was like, I have to help with this. But then the next day passes and I have to clock into my nine to five and then I have my podcast and then, you know, I'm going to go to the gym and I've got to like do all this like self-maintain kind of stuff. And it's like, what does all this shit really mean? Like if people are out here worried about like, can, like, just can I live? Like, can I be alive? Like, can I have a chance at success for once? Can I, ha- can I like, can we reframe? This is just a total dismantling of, of like an ideological structure and then it's rebuilt for you within 40 minutes. It's really uncomfortable. And I love this album. I'm excited about it in a way that I haven't been excited about it at music in a long time. But it also really makes me think about the times where I've like felt awkward around black people, where I felt uncomfortable around black people. And I think the, the, the important thing that this album will, will do for white fans is it'll cause those kind of reactions and it'll be telling the people who react to it in, a certain, in the way that I think the album isn't asking, but it's kind of like, that's its, that's its like thesis statement. It's, it's, it wants you to react to it in ways that a lot of other music doesn't. That's all I got to say. I love the album, too. I, I mean, there's a lot of things this album makes me think of in terms of, like, nuanced things about racism. I'll leave that to you. I don't really feel comfortable talking about stuff like that. I, I'd rather just listen and try to reach a better understanding. But I will say... Even if that's all this album was, was just something for me to listen to someone else's perspective, that would have been enough. But the fact that he can talk about his experience in such a specific way that I can't relate to, yet I relate to the songs, is pretty amazing. Like this song, this last one, being about like being hypersensitive to everything, you know, growing up around gangs and growing up in that culture of like, you don't know if any movement someone else makes is like, you know, you're constantly worried about what everyone's doing at all times. I can't, re- I didn't, I mean, I can't fucking relate to that at all. But like, any moments where I have social anxiety and like being hyper aware to like everyone in the room, like what they're doing, like who are, you know. And I don't think this song wasn't written for me to relate to by any means. But the fact that he's such a good writer that he can write about something that isn't like what I deal with at all, and I can still latch on to it emotionally. It's, it's pretty amazing. It's incredible writing. Yeah, and it's also at all times like referential to its source material, but fresh. 
So yeah, I love this album. I hope I didn't say anything overly stupid. This album's a lot more... Most of y'all Bruce Wayne's looking way cool clucks. <laughs> this, this, good line. this album's a lot more nuanced and just smart than I feel like I uh, am capable of being off the cuff. Uh, I think it's hard to talk about this album. That was why I was excited to talk about it because I wasn't sure like what ideas I would have. And I said some stuff I'll probably feel weird about saying later, but I kind of feel like it's better to just air your dirty laundry and like the ways that you used to be and the ways that you're trying to be as opposed to like hiding mm-hmm. because what they did on this album is anything but hiding, you know? This was Diaspora Problems by Soul Glow, a Philadelphia band, um, a band that we're both really excited about and have been following for the last couple of years. Um, support them, buy their music, buy merch from them, make their lives as easy as possible so we can get another record. Do you want me to go ahead and do the outro? So uh, if you want to hear more Jubilee Street, more Ian and Jake, you can check us out at Jubilee Street Pod on Instagram. We've got a link tree in our bio where you can find all our pertinent and important links. We've got a YouTube page. We put up some of our episodes there. If you like using YouTube, we've got Apple Podcasts, Spotify. You can like, rate, subscribe, follow. Um, we love getting five-star reviews, so we move up in the ranks and more people can hear us. Um, and finally, uh, we've also got a Facebook page, same thing, Jubilee Street Pod, and we've got a mailbag. You can email us at jubileestreetpod at gmail.com. Um, yeah, so make sure you check in with the clerk and get your ticket for jaywalking on your way out. And we will talk to y'all soon. Love you. Check out Soul Glow.